Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to your donations at japanbyrivercruise.com and thanks to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from PR firm Exotic for Profit International. Here at Exotic for Profit, we're proud of our proven track record in rebranding pedestrian things as Asian and exotic to help them pop in a Western market. If you've ever enjoyed okonomiyaki or Japanese pizza, then you're familiar with our work. So if you're publishing a book on hospitality, let us triple your sales by rebranding your trite ideas as the Eastern art of omotenashi. Have a bullshit blog article about accepting imperfection? We'll stick a word like wabi-sabi in the title and bait you up some sweet clicks. Our negative PR can help you sell your racist fear-mongering as well. The Chinese virus? Asian murder hornets? Yeah, that was us. As a special offer exclusively for Japan by River Cruise listeners, we'll throw in one copyrighted, uniquely Japanese word free with any paid PR consultation. Choose between gaman, the untranslatable word meaning patience, wa, the untranslatable word meaning peace, or kombini, the untranslatable word meaning place to buy fried chicken from an exhausted Nepalese exchange student at 3 a.m. Act fast. These words won't be untranslatable for long. So contact us today via the cutting edge, yet also traditional Japanese voice messaging technology, the Denwa. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Andy Curtin. Andy is a stand-up comedian and podcaster who founded the first full-time comedy club in Shanghai and is now the head of comedy for Live Nation Asia. He's toured Asia with Jim Gaffigan, Jim Jeffries, and worked with acts including Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle, and God Elmole, and is the only Australian national on record to have survived a bank-to-bank swim across the Shinano River. Hi. Andy, thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. On this week's show, the Japanese government is releasing guidelines for resuming social interactions. Because if there's anyone who knows how to interact socially, it's a Japanese bureaucrat. We'll break down those social interaction guidelines for you, including what percentage of them involve using taxpayer funds to entertain your mistress. Also, rural areas of Japan like Ibaraki and Guma are asking people not to visit during Golden Week to avoid corona infections, a move that could be considered a waste of all the money they've spent on promoting tourism this year, except for the fact that it's a waste when they spend money promoting tourism any year. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ollie? Yes, this week's recommendation is good news for scuba diving fans. The Okinawan River Princess, recently in the news for installing the industry's first ever on-deck mini-golf courses, has partnered with a scuba diving gear rental firm to offer discounted suit rental packages. The company has asked us to point out that this move has nothing to do with the rumors that they've lost all of their golf balls already, but have said that it would be helpful if while passengers were diving they kept their eyes peeled plus with the news of the state of emergency extension threatening to sink their businesses some river cruise operators are now just barely treading water later in the show we'll have a special message for those of you in the industry who are struggling to stay afloat from a suicide prevention counselor who is pretty unhappy with the tone we're striking here but first soap talk Ollie, how's your week? 
Ah, it's been a good week. I've become a, an academic all of a sudden. It's been many years since I've been reading law journals, but I've started to write an article. You weren't an academic after the law degree. It's it's now. Now, now I've got all this time in lockdown. Uh, I've decided to write an article on the copyrightability of stand-up material. I've got a friend who I won't mention for legal reasons, uh, who's in a dispute with a joke book publisher, and it astonishes me how little comedians know about what the law says about their output. I think I saw you posting about this on Facebook, asking for people's experiences with having a joke stolen. And you're writing an article on whether or not jokes are actually copyrightable? Yeah, that's basically it. There are certain norms which the stand-up world has adopted, which means that we never really needed copyright protection. Because if someone steals a joke, I mean, Andy will tell us, right, as someone that both performs and book shows. And and frequently steals material. <laughs> <laughs> Andy knows all about stealing jokes, don't you, Andy? What are you trying to say? What is this? What is, is this? Is this what this is really about? But it's true, right? If you know that someone's a joke thief, then they just don't get booked, right? You know, they're ostracized from the comedy community. But what happens is once people that kind of exist outside of the stand-up world start appropriating this material, suddenly those kind of cultural norms break down and that's when the law maybe needs to intervene. And comedians just don't realize that even a single joke is a, a piece of work which is copyrighted. They don't even mm. need to register it. If they've recorded it, written it down somewhere, it's protected legally. What about the enforcement, though? That's the problem. Yeah, I guess that's true of any part of the law, though, right? The law is only as good as its enforceability. I mean, basically, the, the one problem that you have is the question of damages, right? If, if someone's stolen your joke... Uh, you need to show that you've suffered some loss or you need to seek statutory damages. And it's just it just hasn't been tested in a court. No court has said, well, a joke is worth $100 or you need compensation of $1,000 for your reputational damage or whatever. Speaking of uh, loss in terms of stand-up comedy, uh, Ali, I understand that Andy is the reason that nobody turned up to your Pig in Japan performance in Tokyo. Is that true, Andy? Well, I, I, as, I was one of several reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Let's list the reasons, please. Ollie, well, let's start from the beginning. Ollie's act. Um, no. <laughs> uh, half of which he stole from my act. Should have stolen it from Dave Chappelle. I think it would have gone a bit better. <laughs> Ollie had a show called Pig in Japan that he was touring all around the world. And when he came to do it in Tokyo, he'd booked uh, a venue and a date to do it in Tokyo, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It was much worse than that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, the, no, no, no. The, sto the story get, is, is much, way worse than it sounds. I'm the reason he was in Tokyo. Yeah, so I wasn't planning on being in Tokyo. I was, I'd booked a flight to go to Tokyo under the pretense that I was going to be opening for Jim Gaffigan. But uh, our, our Japan team gave Ollie a call and said, hey, buddy, can you send us your visa? And he was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't have a visa. Why would I have a visa? He's a schmeezer. As a, uh, as what we thought was a resident of Fukuoka for many years, somehow didn't have a visa. Um, well, I, I did. I did have a visa, but I didn't have one which allowed me to work. I mean, that was the problem. That in my final three months of being in Japan, I didn't have the, like, whatever whatever it is, Tokade Katsudo or whatever, the, the stamp you need in order to, to do work. You were transitioning out, and so you'd gone from a work visa to a tourist visa for your last three months. It wasn't actually a tourist visa. It was an extension of the Shushoka Katsudo visa which i was on which was ostensibly i was job hunting for a year you're allowed to job hunt and not to work that's exactly yeah. it i didn't realize i was uh i was booking a refugee at the time so <laughs> has so you anyway, not so seen his clothes yeah good fair point anyway so ollie's like it'll be fine right i'm like mate i don't think you understand how these theaters work there's no chance 
we can let yeah. you in the backstage without a, the right visa. Yeah, well, I, I thought we could get that stamp. Anyway, the, the bottom line is the flights were booked to Tokyo without a gig for me to do. But I thought, well, I'm going to make the most of it. I'd been planning to do my Pig in Japan show at some point in Tokyo. I thought, well, why not do it prematurely? So I'd booked uh, seven days in Tokyo. And I thought, I'll go and watch the Jim Gaffigan show. No doubt Andy will give me a free ticket. Spoiler alert, he didn't without a fight. I offered a fair discount. <laughs> <laughs> and then five or six days later, I booked in to do my show at Good Heavens, which is the kind of main comedy venue in Tokyo for acts of my level. Not only that, Steve Bougea, who's a UK act, a fantastic act, was in town and had offered to open for me. So it was going to be a great show. We were going to have a lot of fun. Plus, it was just before I was about to take the show to the Fringe. And so it would have been a great chance to, you know, test the material, get Steve's feedback. He's an expert storyteller. It was going to be great. Then I get a, another message from Andy saying, hey, Ollie, Dave Chappelle's in town. So now I'm thinking... Great. Well, what we'll do is we'll definitely sort out the visa then. And I can not only open for Jim Gaffigan, but also maybe close for Dave Chappelle. <laughs> uh, and then Andy says the, when the date is, and, and he basically Dave Chappelle had decided to pick a fight with me and picked exactly the same day as my Good Heavens show. And I don't want to judge who the winner and who the loser is, but let me put it this way. Dave Chappelle picked a fight with the wrong guy. I mean, I can I completely agree. Dave Chappelle picked a fight with the wrong guy because you did not put up much of a fight. I mean, there's no <laughs> question about it. <laughs> Even people that had booked tickets did not turn up. Presumably I, they were there sat well, watching Dave let, Chappelle. Let me ask you this, Ali. How did Steve Bougea enjoy Dave Chappelle's show? Well, Steve Bougea had also tried to book his own filming, a special, I guess you call it, at Good Heavens. Yes. The, and nobody, yeah. nobody came to that either. So I was uh, the well, most popular promoter in in tokyo for that way well it's not fair to say that no one came but there, there, there had to be some very creative artistic choices about where the cameras were to make it look full the crazy thing is that the both of them had their families there and just randomly bumped into each other in the street in kyoto no way yeah imagine that yeah you know, just cruising around the street you know kyoto is not not a lot of foreigners in kyoto and then two of the you know, <laughs> world's top 10 comedians just bump into each other yeah that's crazy. probably top probably top five Man, actually Im imagine if i were there as well <laughs> i'm just trying to imagine it <laughs> um, bobby did we get any mail this week yes we got some interaction on twitter in regards to the last episode uh bob worley he wrote in response to our last episode and he says curious about something i listened to the episode where we discussed okamura takashi's joke about women having to turn to sex work because they'll be destitute because of the financial situation with COVID-19. He says, I listened to the oh, episode and you mentioned that some people def defended it as a joke, but there is no joke there. But Japanese humor, in my opinion, is rather adolescent. So would this joke fit under that? Not defending what he said, just curious. He goes on, in Japan, the mainstream comedy seems to allow for more juvenile style fart joke comedy, which makes me feel while this might not be a joke, it might be more expected or accepted for comedians to say or talk about things like he did, not saying it's right, but thinking it's a general culture of badness. Does any of that make sense? First, I'm going to jump right in and say that I don't think it's fair to say that fart joke comedy is necessarily juvenile. In fact, the first 10 minutes of my new show is me talking about holding in a fart. And it's very intelligent. He says juvenile fart joke comedy. So I think he's specifying fart jokes, which are juvenile, which exempt you. Thank you. 
So if we accept that Japanese humor is more adolescent and these kinds of topics are more accepted and expected, is that the reason that the common defense is that he's just joking when he said this? While it might be true that Japanese humor does have a slightly more adolescent and playful bent, my feeling is, and I don't mean this specifically about Bob, but generally I think foreigners get the wrong idea about Japanese comedy because the comedy which they're exposed to is mainstream comedy. Whereas if you're a comedy fan, you can dig deeper and find people that do talk about political issues and, you know, are slightly more linguistically dexterous and don't just rely on slapstick, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think it's a defense in this case because the joke which he was attempting to make was nothing to do with being juvenile or silly. It was making what he thought was a, a salient point that one of the effects of the pandemic is that there are going to be more beautiful prostitutes. So I, I just don't think that he was operating on that silly frequency. So I don't think that's an excuse. Yeah, I think the point for me here is that he was saying it sincerely. When we say there wasn't a joke there, he was saying something that he meant. And if you're in a conversation with people who think that and agree with you, then you might all be laughing as you say it. It might be a fun, entertaining conversation. But it's akin to someone saying something racist or sexist, and then when no one laughs, goes, lighten up, it was just a joke. You said something you right. meant. Yeah, but maybe it was just the wording. Like, maybe he said, hey, this virus is so bad. If these girls don't become whores, they won't get any noodles. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that we could make this comment any worse. But Andy. Yeah. Thank you for giving us a perfect example of how you could have phrased that horribly offensively. <laughs> By the way, where's the, I, I, the, the most disappointing about that whole thing is it didn't actually have a fart joke in it. I was waiting for the fart joke. <laughs> I actually thought the said, same thing when I read this tweet. I was what, like, if he'd, uh, what if he said it and then farted? Would that be a joke? <laughs> I think that would be more in line with the style of Japanese comedy that Bob Worley is used to watching. That's Imagine how you if this guy just straight face was like, you know, they're not going to be able to earn money, so they might have to become prostitutes. <laughs> like, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> Well, there's a reason that fart jokes are mainstream in Japan. They appeal to everyone. Plus, everyone's in ele elevators a lot, so it's relevant. Should we take a look at the news? <laughs> Bobby, do you know what's in the news this week? I'm actually very glad that we have Andy on as a guest this week for this particular news story, because one of the things in the news is that the Japanese government is starting to ease the curbs on social contact, and they're starting to reopen public facilities. So Andy, you're in Hong Kong, and I think you're a little bit ahead of us on the timeline here. What's going on in terms of uh, the reopening of the economy and society over there? Yeah, well, like last weekend, they had uh, the beaches were just packed i mean more like packed like chinese new year like you'd never want to go to a beach that packed at any time forget about the virus the bars are all opening up now and uh yeah city's coming back online and this whole and this thing is where, because you're past the danger you're past the risk of infection we haven't had a case in the community i think for three weeks or something oh wow yeah they, they, they don't muck around when they lock down here they really make it happen you know, people are saying, oh, I don't know if humans will feel comfortable venturing out again. Have a look at mainland China and Hong Kong. As soon as anyone got even a whisper of being allowed out again, they sprinted outside and hung out in crowds. And are people washing their hands and wearing masks? I'm not. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, they are. No, but pe- people in here wear masks a lot. You know, people are still there's there's a very high percentage of people wearing masks still. But I feel like that's a small consolation, given that they're able to go back and live again and be around people. People don't like to not right. be around people. Ultimately, it's funny that you said I am. As long as you know, kind of taking the position. Well, if everyone else is wearing a mask, then I'll I'll be fine. The news that came out of the UK this week is that Neil Ferguson. Uh, who was given the title Professor Lockdown. He was the government's advisor uh, on basically the modelling for the virus. Uh, It was reported that he had his girlfriend, who was a married woman herself, visit him at his home twice during the lockdown. And one of the times that she visited was on the same day that he said, it's really important we all stay at home. We just, we can't do it, can we? Like, you know, there's there's a reason why, for example, in Germany, there's a law which says if you try and escape from prison, then you're not going to be criminally punished for that because it's human nature to want to escape. No one wants to do this, and we can't just admit it. I just can't believe that a British politician would be a womanizing hypocrite. That's just it's a bit of a stretch. Ah, uh, no, no, no. He was an academic, which is why he's sexy, and which is that why this week, while I'm writing my quasi-academic paper, I'm the hottest man in town. So, Andy, how much of a how much of what you're seeing do you think is a reaction to you know, this pent-up desire to go out and socialize? Do you think people a, are a, doing the things lot. that they've been wanting to do the whole time, or? Yeah, I mean, people have been going loopy staying at home. The weather's getting pretty warm here. I I think a huge part of it is people just being desperate to go out and, and get back to the life that they had before. And that's after, I mean, you haven't had a case in three weeks, you said. Florida, if you look at America, there are people who, you know, they've announced that they're expecting 3,000 deaths a day. And people are still, as soon as they get the chance, they're all rushing to the beaches and the rallies and the protests and things like that. I think it's really funny to look at different countries, how they justify it. So like this article you sent me, the, uh, the government was talking about, uh, I think it was public fatigue, fatigue from quarantine. So they're like, quarantine the issue fatigue. here is that, yeah, the issue here is that we're tired. Whereas the Americans are like, none of the issues are rights. The issues are, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, people just want to go out. You know, they're, I just love the Japanese. They're like, we're just really tired. That's it. Yeah. I was talking to William Childress, who's in Atlanta, Georgia, and he said people have just given up trying to, to, to isolate. He said they're, they're they're all this all the beauty salons are act, are operating like speakeasies now. You know, they got boards. <laughs> people sneak, sneaking sneaking in the back to get their nails done. Yeah. What's so, what, so there's a chance that you get arrested by a police officer that just happens to notice that your feet are impeccably smooth. There you go. Those toenails didn't paint themselves. You're under arrest. I'm arresting you for looking fabulous, sir. Yeah. Well, guilty as charged. I'm, I'm, I'm arresting you for looking well queefed. <laughs> I think you. That is not. See, there you go. That wasn't me. For, for the record, let let it be known that that fart came from the mouth of Ollie Horn. You set it up. I mean, you floated that softball across the plate. No, no, quite qu- coiffed. I don't know how you pronounce it in your country. For us, that's what you talk about your, well, your hair. A quiff no, is a different thing. Don't bring your dirty American accent in here. You guys can't pronounce anything. Do you really pronounce it queefed? I, you're damn right I do. <laughs> you should see how I get haircuts. <laughs> just stick to your guns all the way down. No, that's an American thing to stick to your guns. Yeah, it's a very American expression. And it's a very British thing to make a pun. So we're all on brand right now. This is a podcast about Japan. So let's jump back into the Japanese news real quick. They've extended the state of emergency until the end of the month. And at the same time, they're starting to reopen public facilities. And 
One of my favorite sentences in this article is that they're easing their requests for slashing social contact, and the government is going to be releasing guidelines on how to resume social activities. The idea of the government releasing guidelines on how to resume social activities is hilarious to me. Have they got some mascot reminding yeah. people how to make jokes, how to encourage people to down their drinks? They do actually. They do have a social distancing mascot. It's called Don't Touch Coon, and they just borrowed it from the anti-train molesting campaign. <laughs> um, I love that they said interpersonal contact. You're not allowed to do inter. You can do intrapersonal contact, but not interpersonal contact. <laughs> so basically, you can put a finger in your own butt, but you're not allowed to touch someone else, especially not with that finger. <laughs> Judge, you like earlier on in this podcast, I made one fart joke, and you guys are like, "Shit, we better move to the next section." Now Ollie's face sounds like a friggin' taco convention. It's really funny. It is really funny. Uh, I love how there's the two comedians on here have lowered the level of humor to the absolute, which I'm fine with, you know. But uh, Bobby's keeping us. Uh, Bobby's the adult in the room right now. I think I'm trying to be. I'm. I'm. Bobby's got a career to maintain. At least publicly podcast. facing. I'm trying to be the adult. Well, there's a risk that people will learn to get too social, because people are worried that Golden Week people are going to go absolutely crazy. Yeah, we are in the middle of Golden Week. That's another one of the big news stories this week. The rural areas in Japan are afraid that the coronavirus is going to be popping up, and they're going to be seeing spots of infection during Golden Week as people travel. Because people leave the big cities and go on vacations to more remote destinations, but also it's another big time of the year when people go home to visit their families. So the bulk of cases in Japan, there's four thousand five hundred confirmed cases in Tokyo, where most prefectures in the country have reported less than one hundred. They've actually got a quote here in this article from a governor in Miyagi. Who said, my children are in Tokyo and Aichi, but I told them not to come home. If we let our guard down now, we'll see clusters of infection quickly pop up. So you've got like parents and grandparents discouraging their children and grandchildren from coming home to visit. Of course, some of the measures do work, right? In Fukuoka, they chopped down all of those flowers so people wouldn't go and visit the outdoor flower garden. Yeah, not only in Fukuoka, there are a couple of famous places around Japan where the fields of flowers draw huge tourist numbers every year. And to prevent those people from coming, they just killed all the flowers. They've chopped them all down this year. So people aren't showing up to these annual tourist destinations. And one, the Mainichi newspaper here in Japan is very, very upset about. Newspapers are typically supposed to be objective in their coverage of the news, but we've discovered this week that the Mainichi freaking loves whirlpools. This was just a hilarious headline to me. The headline is, spectacular whirlpools in Western Japan go unseen as state of emergency continues. But it is accompanied by a photograph of those whirlpools plastered on their website. Nobody's watching them. These are, uh, what, I guess, what it's are the popular. They? They're what whirlpools. They? They're in a strait between Tokushima Prefecture, uh, the cities of Naruto, and Awaji Island in Hyogo Prefecture. It's this big strait out in the ocean that the water currents coming together create these whirlpools that they call them the Naruto if you've whirlpools. Ever been, if you've ever been on a log flume, it looks exactly like the departure area before the log flume climbs up the hill. It's so a big swirl in the water, and this is their peak season. Is this actually a thing that people should be going to see? It's something that they go to see every year. Whether or not they should is another question. Oh, my good Lord. I'm just blown away. Like, I think if your idea of a holiday is to watch some water swirling around, you know, maybe you need to die. Um, <laughs> you might. I don't think you realize what podcast you're on right now. I do find it funny that, the idea of an emergency is stretched so thinly. 
that they're kind of officially saying it is still an emergency, but acting like it isn't. And that's just not, I think I've said this on the podcast before, that's not how emergencies work, right? An emergency is supposed to respond to an emotion, right? Like you're supposed to do something with a sense of urgency. You can't declare an emergency and not act like it's an emergency. It's like Michael Scott in the office saying, I declare bankruptcy and that having no legal effect whatsoever. I want to, uh, what, what other emergencies are there where halfway through everyone's told they can start touching each other more? <laughs> <laughs> I want to check out those emergencies. You know, someone's getting a heart attack and just as they're, they've revi- resuscitated them, they're like, all right, you can grab boobs, but no nipples. All right. We can have some. <laughs> the, uh, Wake love... him up. Do anything you can. What about the woman that got turned away when she was in labor? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a woman who she lives in Chiba Prefecture and she was visiting family in Iwate, which is a northern rural prefecture. And she went into labor and she was turned away from two hospitals because people were afraid she might have the virus. She had to go through three hospitals before she was admitted and gave birth and the kicker was she tested negative for the coronavirus i just well, it's kind of like, kind of like the virgin mary story very you know, if it's good similar. enough for jesus it's good enough for her kid <laughs> i just can't imagine that my like i don't know if you've dealt with a woman in labor but uh define dealt with <laughs> anything been around told them not to come into a hospital where they can safely have a baby there must have been oh, yeah, a, I've done that. There must have been an enormous amount of bowing going on at that moment. Yeah, I can like the funny image for me is the the inside of the ambulance where they come back and they're like, We're really sorry to have to tell you this, but they've told us we're not allowed in. And she's like, Oh, well, I'm really sorry to have to inconvenience you, but could you drive me to a different hospital? And then just <laughs> doing those apologies over and over again until they get in. And of Boy. course if she starts getting contractions, those are de facto bowels. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to. I'll tell you one thing. If you're in labor and you're trying not to give birth, bowing is the last thing you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) That is not going to go well. So, places like Okinawa, which are popular destinations for Golden Week, have actually requested that like up to 60,000 tourists cancel their reservations, cancel their plane tickets, and not go to Okinawa. They haven't gone as far as to say we're not going to allow you in, but they're requesting that people completely cancel their, their travel plans. I thought that was so funny in the other article, how they were saying that uh, they were telling people to stay home, but there was no punishment for non-compliance. That is just amazing. Like, where right, in the right. world can you do that? They're like, but we said, please. You know, like, you imagine telling Americans that you'd be like, all right, you guys, you can stay home, but. We're not going to do anything if you don't stay home. Like in America, they're like, we're going to shoot you if you don't stay home. They're like, well, we're going to come outside with our guns. <laughs> well, I think it depends on which Americans. Have you seen any of the pictures of the protests? I mean, you've got like tons and tons of white Americans who are armed with automatic weapons on their backs, yelling at police officers about wanting them to open up the economy. So, I mean, yeah, you've that, got a that, large that, portion of Americans that you are telling, you know, stay at home and they're they're coming out. With, with guns not quite blazing, but ready to blaze if need be. But in America, I'm pretty sure in plenty of states, you, you can get a fine if you're outside. In Malaysia, they're issuing on-the-spot fines. In Singapore, I know a guy who got an 800 Singapore dollar fine for walking too close to someone on the sidewalk. Wow. Oh, wow. They had, they had a social distancing ambassador handing out tickets for people getting a little too uh, chummy uh, on the uh, as they walk along, 
How do they hand out those tickets? Do they have to make a paper aeroplane and throw them? <laughs> well, they can't come too close to you to give it to you, so I think they have to yell yeah. it out, yell it out across the uh, across the road. <laughs> I'm fighting you. What? Leave it. Hey, thanks very much for listening all the way to the end of this Japan by River Cruise episode 34. If you're new to the podcast, then please make sure to subscribe to this wherever you're listening to it. And if you're old to the podcast, then now would be a perfect time to hit that review button and say something nice about us. Yes, please leave us a review. Uh, three stars means not enough fart jokes, and five stars means just the perfect amount. And if you're yearning for more podcast content, then I would like to personally recommend Andy talking about his own podcast. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I uh, you can check it out. It's called Ho Ho Hong Kong uh, with Vivek Mahbubani, who's fairly famous Hong Kong comedian. Um, He's very funny. Talking about all things Hong Kong. So, ch- yeah, you can check it out. It's on every platform that's out there. Uh, every major one anyway. And uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Andy Curtin. All of the links will be in the description.